Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. talk to you this morning about power, love, and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. And I'm going to talk a little bit about fear because fear is a spirit. And just like power, love, and a sound mind is not just a spirit, it is the spirit. Amen. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to read in the Amplified Classified Edition. It says, Paul, an apostle, special messenger of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, favor, and spiritual blessing, mercy, and heart peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I worship with a pure conscience. In the spirit of my fathers, when, without ceasing, I remember you night and day in my prayers. You know, there's uh, uh, a kind of worship that comes from a pure, undefiled, clean conscience that doesn't compare with other types of worship. Jesus said we must worship him in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit. But we can also worship him with a pure undefiled, clean conscience, and he will appreciate that type of worship more than any other kind of worship. And then he says here, and when, as I recall your tears, I yearn to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm calling up memories of your sincere and unqualified faith. That's another good attribute, isn't it? Sincere and unqualified faith. The leaning of your entire personality on God in Christ in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. A faith that first lived permanently in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am fully persuaded dwells in you. Wouldn't you love for Paul to be able to say that about you? And not only that, but here we have three generations of people that had that kind of faith. Don't tell me you can't pass your faith on down to your children and your grandchildren, because here's proof of it right here. And that is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of fan, uh, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. So he's talking about here that flame, them embers and everything. We did that in our first Wednesday night Holy Ghost meeting, if you remember that. That's what me and Pastor Ed was doing. We were fanning that, fanning that ember. We were trying to get that ember to flame up again, that, that fire that uh, Jeremiah talked about as being shut up in his bones and Here he's talking about what that is by laying on of hands is being baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. That's what Paul did when he laid hands on that. So uh, we can be baptized in the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. 
And then in verse 7, and this is the one I wanted to get to, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craving and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. That's the spirit of God. That's what he's given us. Not a spirit of fear. And I like verse 7 in the King James because it's one that most of us are familiar with. And if anybody memorized this passage of Scripture, uh, then this is probably what you memorize. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I, I, I know we could say it like this. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. That's the Holy Ghost. Yes. And in the Greek language, it actually says this. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and the bringing of man to a sound mind or sober-mindedness. Mm -hmm. Fear takes that away from you. Because when you get in fear, especially overwhelming fear, you lose your mind. You can't think of all the training you had. You can't think of anything that you're supposed to do, at least for a couple seconds. Some of us get our minds back real quick, uh, and most of us get scared. But if you ever get in fear to the point where you can't think with a sound mind and be sober-minded, you're going to be in trouble because the enemy is going to take advantage of you. Yes. Amen. And, you know, there's no such thing as somebody without fear. Everybody has fear. It's a God-given emotion because it's to warn you of an impending danger. That's God warning you of an impending danger. And so when you get that warning, you're not supposed to freak out and put your head in the sand and hope nobody sees you. You're supposed to figure out what you need to do, and you need to do it quickly to get out of that impending danger, and that's where a sound mind comes in at. Yes, and God gave us that spirit. Yes, so I want to talk about these four things this morning, fear, power, love, and a sound mind. Romans 8.15, first of all, tells us that the spirit of fear is bondage. And that's what I'm talking about. Fear will paralyze you, and it will hold you in bondage. He, uh, Paul says, how many knows being locked up in jail? Well, this is one way of putting it, but uh, it's, it's being locked up in jail will restrict your freedom of doing things. And, and fear does the same exact thing. It restricts your freedom of doing things. And we have all kinds of fears. Just look up phobias. And Google phobias, there'll be thousands of them. People have fears of everything. And, and you know, the spirit of power is the spirit of God empower, imparting power into our spirit to overcome these things. This power that he's imparted into our spirits gives us the ability to break free from the bondage that Paul was talking about in Romans 8.15. And then love, power, love, and a sound mind. Love casts out fear. Uh, John 1, 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love. If you're walking in love, you cannot be in fear. Amen. If you're in fear, there is something wrong with your love walk. Your love walk is flawed because there is no fear in love. 
And then he says, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. You, tell, you show me somebody that's in fear and I'll show you somebody that's being tormented. They might be smiling at you during the day. They might smile and greet you when they see you. But I'm telling you, when they're alone or in, at night in the dark, they're being tormented. Fear will keep you awake at night. And we call it praying, but it's all, all it is is glorified worrying, glorified fear. You might be praying, but it's not because you're looking for a solution. It's because you are in fear and you're being tormented. Amen. And then he says, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's why I said if you're in fear, you're not walking in love. And, and we ain't talking about a perfected love. We're talking about a love that has come to maturity. A love that doesn't get its feelings hurt so easily. A love, a love that, can, that can shed off a, a complaint or, or an insult or something that was said against you. A love that can shed off hurt. This is a mature type of love. It's kind, it's patient. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about this kind of love. If you're walking in that kind of love, fear will never get a grip on you. Amen. You'll have the attitude, if I get sick, God will heal me. If I get broke, God will send me some money. Amen. If I'm in fear, God will, will give me strength and get me out of it. I mean, he's the solution for everything. We have no reason for these things to dominate us. Uh. People, like I said, have all kinds of fears. Fear of flying, fear of heights, fear of the dark, fear of bugs, fear of going broke, fear of failure, fear of the dark. Uh, uh, I said that, didn't I? Fear of driving, fear of looking in the mirror. And there is a tremendous fear associated with the coronavirus. That fear of looking in the mirror was a joke. You missed it. But anyway... True story, I ran into this elderly person at the bank, and he said he was so thankful for the vaccine because he hasn't been out of his house in over a year. And I thought it was just, a, you know, an exaggeration of some type. But he said he hadn't left his house in over a year, had no personal contact with his family or friends. They brought him groceries and set him on the porch or whatever, but never hugged nobody, never... Uh, gotten within six feet of anybody, just isolated for over a year. And then uh, I could tell by the way he was talking that he was not a believer, not a Christian. You know, he said, thank God, but he didn't know. He said it as just a cliche that people say. But this is what a, fear, a, a spirit of fear will do to you. It will paralyze you, and it will cause you to lose out on a year of his, your life. He lost out on a year of his life, a year of his life gone because of fear. And, and, you know, I could tell, by the way, like I said, he was talking that he wasn't really a believer. So to a certain extent, I could understand his fear. He has something to be afraid of. But a Christian should never allow fear to dominate or alter their lives in any way. Fear should not change anything about your life. It shouldn't keep you in or keep you from doing things or keep you from uh, your family or your friends or anything else. That's the devil's tactic. 
The devil wants you isolated. He don't want you with your family and with your friends. He don't want you with people that will support you. And he certainly don't want you to go to church. And if this guy was a Christian, he missed a whole year of church. Oh, he might have listened to it on the YouTube or whatever if, if he was a Christian, but it's not the same. And, and uh, so we're not to allow that to come into our lives. We're not to allow fear to govern us in any way, shape, or form at any time. No way, no reason for it to ever happen to us. Amen. Amen. And if you are fighting with fear all the time, you need to check your love walk, and you need to remind yourself of the spirit that you were filled with. Amen. Power, love, and a sound mind. In Acts 1, verses 4 through 9, Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. He meets with his disciples one last time after his resurrection. And he tells them that before they do anything, go to Jerusalem and tarry there. Wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Ghost. He said, wait until you be endued with power from on high. Wait until you do be endued with power from on high. And he said to wait for the promise of the Father, it's the Holy Ghost. So when he said, wait till you're endued with power from on high, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. Yes. That's where your power is going to come from. Yes. Now, if you haven't been here on Wednesday nights, then there's, you probably have to fill in the blanks on a lot of this stuff. But this is the line that we've been studying on, is the power of the Holy Ghost. And so... He said, uh, John baptized with water, but he said Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Ghost and fire. Not just the Holy Ghost, but fire. So we know that the Holy Ghost is going to be power and he's going to be fire. And this is what Jesus was talking about. He told them that they would receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire... It's a power that has the ability to purify and set you free. It will purify you. It'll be not only power, it will be a purified power coming from within. And we know the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. 50 days after Easter Sunday morning, uh, the day of Pentecost came, and it came fully. In Acts 2, 1 and through 4, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, we learned last Wednesday night that there was hundreds of Pentecosts. Ever since Leviticus 23, when the law was given, part of that law was to observe certain feasts and things and certain days, and one of them was Pentecost. So every year they observed the Feast of Pentecost. They had hundreds of Pentecost. But this time, he says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, in other words, this is the Pentecost that is going to fulfill all, the other, all, all that the other Pentecosts pointed to. This is the fullness of Pentecost. And so this time, the Holy Ghost descended from heaven. Well, let's read verse 2. It says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It wasn't a rushing mighty wind. It came as a rush. It sounded like a rushing mighty wind. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues last like as of fire, and it sat on each of them. 
So now they're being baptized with the Holy Ghost and what? Fire. The Holy Ghost and fire. And when they got baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, they were purified. And that power that went into them now, when it comes out, it's going to be a purified power. It's going to be a power to purify. What does that mean? Like I said, it'll set people free. It will get people healed. It will do all kinds of things for people. It's, it's a ministry that helps you, but it's a ministry for others more than it is for you. Amen? Amen. Well, what about me? Somebody else will minister to you. Verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And because we speak in tongues, our denomination speaks in tongues, we're called Pentecostals. Because Pentecostals is is uh, related to the day of Pentecost, and it's also related to the fact that the people that were filled with the Holy Ghost began to speak in other tongues, so Pentecost is, is associated with tongues. But it's not a denomination. People call us Pentecostals, but like I said, Pentecostals in and of itself is not a denomination because there are other denominations there are Baptist Pentecostals and Methodist Pentecostals and Catholic Pentecostals. There are other denominations that speak in tongues. So Pentecostals are not a denomination in and of itself. We call ourselves non-denominational, uh, a non-denominational church that speaks in tongues. We had a Pentecostal experience. But here's, uh, here's an interesting statistic. Next to Catholicism, non-denominal churches are the next largest body of believers in the earth today. Amen. Didn't start out like that. Hardly ever uh, heard much about Pentecost or speaking in tongues until Azusa Street back in the early 19th century. And so that's when it swept across this nation and got into other nations. But since that time... We've grown tremendously, non-denominal ch uh, churches that speak in tongues. But one of the things that is really unique about non-denominational churches is that we teach the doctrine of the Trinity, that there is one God, three, uh, three gods in one, one God in three, the Trinity. Hardly any other denomination teaches that, at least to the extent that we do, and no religions in the world teach of the Trinity. All religions believe in one person. I don't even want to say God. It's a God to them, but they believe in one person or one God. They don't believe in the Trinity. And this is what a lot of, non or, or a lot of denominational churches fail to, to teach. And uh, most of them, most of your denominational churches will deny the Trinity, but they will speak on God and they will speak on Jesus, God the Father and Jesus the Son. And I don't think anyone fully understands the Trinity, including me, but that doesn't mean we can't believe in it or teach about it. I don't know anything about airplanes either. I don't know what makes a big airplane fly, but it doesn't stop me from getting on one and flying. Amen. Most of you don't know what happens when you turn the ignition on in your car. All the things that have to come together and come to place, and when you put it in gear, the car takes off. You don't understand how that happens, but you don't have to. You can still drive and enjoy the vehicle, right? And that's the way it is with 
uh, teaching about the Trinity. Even though we don't understand everything about it or fully understand, it doesn't mean that it don't exist. And that's what a lot of denominational churches and a lot of religions do. They act as if it doesn't even exist. There is no Trinity because I don't teach on it. And even the parts of the Bible that speak of a Trinity, they skip over it or something because they're not teaching it. And we're not going to do that in this church. We've always believed in the Trinity. And it stands out in Scripture. It's so obvious in, in Scripture that we can't deny it. All throughout the Bible, we see not only each individual person of the Godhead, that's what the Trinity is called, the Godhead, each individual person of the Godhead in operation, both individually and as a Trinity, working all together. In the very beginning, it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Uh, so there, that indicates right there is just there's more than one God right off the bat. And so uh, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 5, 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. Not one, not two, but three. And then he tells us the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then he says it plainly, these three are one. These three are one. That one God is three gods. Again, we don't have to understand it to believe it. It says it right here. And then in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, uh, it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So how can anyone deny a trinity? John told us about a trinity. And, and uh, here it's telling us that there's God in heaven, the sun is standing in the water, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. God spoke from heaven, it says. There's all three of them right there in one passage of Scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Three gods in one, one God in three. We can't deny the Trinity. But there's one member of the Trinity, and this is what I'm getting at, is been overlooked and unappreciated in most denominations and in all religions, and that is the mighty Holy Ghost. And he is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. But he is not only a person, like I said, he's also a God. And when we get to heaven, I believe with all my heart, we're going to see three separate and distinct beings and somehow we're going to see them as one. I don't know how. We're going to look at God and we're going to see three, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we're going to look at all three of them as individuals as well. I know this sounds like, you know, hallucinations and holocausts or what, not holocaust, but holographic images or whatever. But again, I don't know how it works. I can't explain it. I don't fully understand it, but I know it exists. We're going to see three gods in one and one God in three. What a sight to see. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the ministry of the Holy Ghost, and for that matter, the importance of speaking in tongues is avoided by most denominations and certainly by all religions. And for that reason, they don't understand it, so it must not exist. 
I don't understand how airplane flies, so there must not be any such thing as an airplane. That's how stupid it sounds. Amen? I think, Brother Darrell, if I stay back here, it won't pop like that, so I don't know what it's got to do with that. Maybe getting out in front of the speaker. Anyway, praise the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, the devil fights this doctrine tooth and nail because he knows the power that has been made available not only in the Holy Ghost or the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but the power that's made available through the speaking in other tongues. Jude tells us building our, ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in our heavenly language, praying in tongues. The devil knows, and that's why he keeps us from doing it as much as he can. He knows that praying in tongues will build us up and that will present a problem for him. So he fights against it. He don't want us to know about the Trinity. He don't want us to know about the baptism in the Holy Ghost or the power of speaking in other tongues. But they teach about God, these other denominations, uh, and not the religions because they just teach about God the Father and very little about Jesus the Son. And, and if they do teach about Jesus, he's not God to them. He's just a good teacher or a prophet. Well, there goes my theory on how that thing pops. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. But we'll get it fixed, Brother Darrell. Whatever it takes. If we need to buy a new part, we'll buy, <laughs> we'll buy a new part. I don't know. That's another thing I don't understand, the sound system. So, <laughs> But it's there. It reminds us every now and then that it's there. Hallelujah. hallelujah. But there's very little teaching about the Holy Ghost. And that's why uh, on Wednesday nights, our services have been dedicated to teaching on the Holy Ghost. Amen. Pastor had announced it, what, three weeks ago that Wednesday nights is going to be Holy Ghost meetings. And that's what we've been doing for the last three weeks. But our God is three in one. He's unity and plurality. And I've taught on this before where, you know, you have uh, a baseball team. You've got many players, but it's one team. You know, there might be 30 players on the team, but we call them the Chicago Cubs. One team. On our money, it says e pluribus unum, which means plurality and unity. So it's not a foreign concept. We know what it means, and, and that's the best way to explain the, the Trinity. It's like plurality and unity. It's more than one, but that comes into unity. And, and they play as a team. Amen? And that's the Holy Trinity. Then I told you about the devil's trinity, me, myself, and I, right? That's the opposite of the Holy Trinity. But God, the Holy Ghost, needs to be taught more. Amen? And we need to learn more about him. What does the Bible say he is? What does the Bible say he does? How does the Bible describe him in the way that he acts? And what is his ministry? These are things that we should want to know. These are things that should be actually working through us. Who is this third mysterious, nebulous person of the Trinity that nobody knows anything about? He's a God, just like the other two are gods. Amen? And if we don't acknowledge the Holy Ghost and what his ministry is on the earth, then we're going to miss out on all the benefits that he provides for us. The Holy Ghost is a powerhouse that we can't even begin to describe, and his ministry uh, is indescribable as well because he's a healer. 
He's a deliverer. He gives us understanding. He brings us revelation. He gives us an image of the Father and of the Son. Nothing's done in the earth without him. And, you know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, if you see and recognize the ministry of the Holy Ghost, then you've seen the Father and the Son. Because the Holy Ghost uh, came from heaven and has been in existence with God the Father and God the Son for all of eternity, all the way back to the beginning. Everything they know, he knows. Everything they can do, he can do. And one guy describes it as God is the contractor and Jesus is like the foreman. I don't mean any disrespect, just help us get a better understanding. And the Holy Ghost is the laborer. See, God the Father, God the Son is in heaven right now, but the Holy Ghost isn't. He's down here. His ministry is on the earth. Amen? So I want us to know what the presence of the Holy Spirit feels like. And I want us to know what his voice sounds like, when and how he moves, and what he's doing when he's moving. And I feel it's more necessary now in the days that we're living than it was even in the days of the early church. I think it's more necessary now than it's ever been before. I know the Holy Ghost had things, or the, the early church had things coming against them, but nothing compared to what we have coming against us today. I mean, they didn't have social media back then. <laughs> Hallelujah. If we had a window right now, I'd be using it. I said, open that window, Brother Daryl. And I'd sling this pack off my waist out the window. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is another test, I guess. But the Holy Ghost is not some, ma some vague, mysterious force that we can't know anything about. He's not, you know, we might not be able to see him, but we can feel him. Jesus described it like a wind. You know, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but you can see the results of it. You can see where it's been. Amen? And so there's ways of recognizing the Holy Ghost. And these are the things we want to learn about because uh, the Bible teaches us everything that we need to know about him. And he's not strange, he's not weird, and he's especially not spooky. He's a very powerful being, yet he is very gentle, very loving, and very personable. And he is a person. I mean, uh, a person is defined by having a mind, a will, and emotions, and he qualifies for all three of those things so he is a person he should be spoken of as a personal pronoun i know there's one place in acts where it calls him it and it's 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 a mistranslation uh, he's not a it he's a him he's a he he's a person and we need to refer to him as that so God the Holy Ghost has the same attributes as God. He's omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, which means that he is everywhere at all times, that he is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And it's all wrapped up in the Holy Ghost. 
Uh, he's no different than the father when it comes to love and being personable. He's no different than the father or the son. And uh, we've been studying this on Wednesday, and, and, you know, for fear of repeating a couple of things, I still have to teach the ones that weren't here. But uh, God introduced the Holy Spirit in the very second verse of the first chapter in the Bible. And after that introduction, you can see him woven throughout every single book. You can see his work, and you can see him, even though it doesn't mention him specifically, you can see him in every single book of the Bible. Amen. Uh, you know, you have uh, God told Moses to strike the rock. That rock was Christ. Paul taught us that plainly in the epistles. That rock was Christ. But when he struck it, water came out of that rock representing life. But who, you know, God told Moses to do it. God, uh, Moses struck the rock, uh, and the rock was Christ. But who do you think made the water come out of that rock? The Holy Ghost. And we, we talked about him Wednesday night. He was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He was all throughout Exodus. He's all throughout the Bible, every book of the Bible. We looked at him coming upon Samson and some of the feats that Samson did. But in Genesis 1 and 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved over the waters, or moved upon the waters. And, and we realize that word move means hover. He was hovering. And uh, God gave me an illustration on this as I was putting this sermon together. And he said, and again, I don't mean any disrespect. This is for the purpose of examples and illustration. But he gave me the example like the Holy Ghost was like a pinned up bull at a rodeo waiting for somebody to open a gate. I mean, the energy that he has and the power that he has. And he's hovering. And he's, he's really not, but I'm just using this as an example. He's a nervous wreck waiting for the word to be spoken. He wants to do something. He wants to move. He wants to demonstrate that power. But he doesn't do anything the father or the son doesn't tell him to do. And he's like that pent-up bull. And when God said, let there be light, the gate opened, man, he went to work. Amen. He pushed darkness out of the whole earth. Do you know how much power it took to do that, to push darkness away from the earth? And, and, and not only that, but then he separated from the waters from the waters. Then he created the heavens. He put a firmament between the waters. It was water in the atmosphere, water covering the entire earth. There was no sky, no firmament, nothing between heaven and earth. And he pushed that water away from the earth and created the heavens. You know how much power that took? And then he pushed the waters back. He lifted the earth out of the waters. And then he pushed the waters back and gave all the oceans boundaries. He said, you can move this far and that far and no further. And they've been staying at the same boundaries ever since. You know how much power that takes? The Bible says that everything is upheld by the word of God's power, the word of his power. In other words, every planet, every solar system, every Milky Way, every star, everything that moves in the heavens is all upheld by the word of his power. Who do you think keeps them, them planets in alignment? 
Who do you think keeps them planets moving at the right speed in the right orbit, in the right trajectory? If a planet slows down, the Holy Ghost is there to give it a boot say, you better pick it up a little bit. And, and I mean, do you know how much power it takes to do that? And he's living in us. He's living in you and I. He's not like Samson coming upon us. He's within us. That same power that raised Christ from the dead, resurrection power. How much power did it take to raise Christ from the dead? Jesus said, that, uh, God said we cast out devils by the flick of our finger with the finger of God. But Isaiah said it took the entire arm of God to bring us salvation. It took the entire arm of God, which is stronger than a finger, stronger than a hand. It took the entire arm of God to raise Jesus from the dead. That's not even talking about the whole body. But can you understand how much power it took to raise Christ from the dead? To go down into the bowels of the earth and claim him, take him from the devil and raise him up. Come out of that grave on Easter morning. That took power. That took resurrection power. And that power is residing in you. If it's not... If it's not residing in you, he's not going to be able to raise you on the last day like he raised Christ. That power is within us. It's living within us. Now, that power ain't for you to use on your wife or your husband or uh, take advantage of your children or anybody else. That power is to govern your life and regulate your life. But if you've got that kind of power on the inside of you, the same power that we see demonstrated in the, in the creation and everything else, then don't tell me that you don't have enough power to overcome a stinking habit. Don't tell me you don't have enough power to, to straighten your walk up and walk right and walk down the path of righteousness. You've got that power. You've got power that will set you free from whatever it is that has you in bondage. That power is residing in you. You're not using it. Amen. He's hovering over your life right now. Speak the word. Tell me what to do. Give me something to do. And, and, you know, it's like Jesus, when he went in the wilderness and the power, come out in the power of the Spirit, I can just visualize the Holy Spirit hovering. He wasn't inside of them because he hadn't died and, and was resurrected and sent them from heaven yet. But he was hovering over Jesus everywhere he went. Turn me loose. Turn me loose. Speak the word. Speak the word. Let me do something. And Jesus said, in the, well, he didn't say in the name of Jesus, but he said, Rise up and be healed. Whoo! The Holy Ghost was on him, boy. He raised him up. Got him healed. Come out of him in Jesus' name. He got him. He got that devil and ran him out. Thanks for the theatrics, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Like that message, Gwenny's. Preaches back there. The Holy Ghost will take the chicken out of you. He'll take the fear out of you. If you realize who's in you and the power that's behind you, how in the world could you be afraid of anything? We shouldn't be afraid of anything. We shouldn't have a fear of anything. I'm not saying you'll never uh, feel fear, but you should conquer it. You should overcome it as soon as you feel it. I told you my ladder story. I was afraid of a ladder. Got up almost to the top and froze there. I couldn't go up, couldn't go down. So I, either, I had to make up my mind. I'm either going to live here and have my wife send me up some food or drop it from the window upstairs, or I'm going to have to overcome this fear. 
and I did it. I overcome that fear. I climbed the rest of the way up. I did all the work I had to do up there on my window, climbed down, and never feared heights again. I still have a little fear of falling, but I don't have any fear of heights anymore. Hallelujah. <laughs> but anyway, what's this got to do with our opening scripture? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. That's all we need to conquer the world. That's all we need to conquer everything that's conquering us or has us in bondage. Oh, praise the Lord. I, I got 10 minutes left and 30 minutes worth of notes. Well, you know, we have uh, some extensive teaching about the Holy Ghost in Acts, uh, the Holy Ghost and his ministry in the church in Acts 11, 12, and 13. And, and you know, it, it lists the, uh, get, uh, and 14. It lists the gifts of the Spirit in 12 and the manifestation and the administration of them and how they work and everything. And then in Chapter 14, some more teaching about the Holy Ghost and everything. But right in between 13, 12 and 14, we have chapter 13, which is called the love chapter. It tells us what love is. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind and so on and so forth. And it almost seems like it doesn't belong there in between chapters 12 and 14. It seems, and some Bible scholars say that it is a parenthetical insertion between the two chapters, but it doesn't have anything to do with chapter 12 and chapter 14. But chapter 14 starts off with, uh, and lit love. So, you know, uh, and that's what it talked about in 13. So in other words, he talked about the administration of the Holy Ghost, the gifts, how they operate and all of that stuff. And then he talked about love. And then in verse, in chapter 14, he tells us that none of these gifts will operate or manifest themselves outside of love that's why love is so important the holy ghost is not going to manifest himself in a church that doesn't have a loving atmosphere where people are not walking in love you're not going to use the or you're not going to have the uh, the holy ghost use you in the gifts of the spirit without you walking in a love having a love walk he doesn't operate like that He's got to have love. So this love chapter wasn't put there by accident. It's there with a purpose. And that's what Brother Hagin taught us when we went to Bible college. He says, God doesn't have uh, pages that don't mean anything. He doesn't say words that don't mean anything. If it's in, the, in between those two chapters, it has something to do with those two chapters. And he said there's a purpose for everything that God says and does. He says, you just need to find out what the purpose is. And you'll find out that there's no confusion. And Paul talked about that too. You know, God is, uh, is not a God of confusion. If there's confusion in the church as to how the gifts are operating or what they're doing or what they should do, then it's not God. It's the people. Amen. And we're learning on Wednesday night that in our Holy Ghost meetings that it's not just up to me and Pastorette that this is a body ministry. And the Holy Ghost will use anybody. Amen. Amen. He used Miss Shannon. He used Miss Shannon Nichols too. And uh, he'll, he'll just go through here. And if you're willing and you'll yield, he'll use you. And I mean, uh, they both preached. And it was, it was relevant to what the Spirit of God was doing and moving in here. 
And it was like, you know, we're all individual believers, but we were one body. You know, sort of like the Trinity. More than one member, but still one body. And we're operating as a body ministry. It's not just the path. The pastors and the teachers and stuff, it's a body ministry, which means that you got, you got to be ready. God might pick you one night. He might say, Brother Gavin, get up and exhort. Amen. Miss Karen, testify. Miss Gracie, dance. I mean, you got to be open. But, again, there's a purpose for whatever he has us do. There's a purpose for it. Amen? You know, uh, Miss Shannon runs around the church sometime. And, and uh, you know, people think, well, she just got excited. No, there's a purpose for it, you know. Uh, Pastor Ed called on Ethan that one night. He got up here, and he began to testify. He took us back to the Ukraine when he was three and four years old. And, I mean, he, the Spirit of God was all over him, and he was crying, and everybody in here was crying. And you know what? It was like, oh, that was a nice story, a nice testimony. No, God used that to set him free. That was in that kid all these years. For 13 or 14 years, that was inside of him, eating at him. And he got set free from it that night, right here at the pulpit. So there's a purpose for everything. Amen? And, uh, you know, we've learned things about Ethan, and he probably hasn't told you or told us all of everything that happened, but he's had experiences where uh, he was like three years old, and he was afraid of thunderstorms. He was afraid of lightning. And they took that little boy out and tied him to a tree during a lightning storm. And he remembered, he, he said that he could see them standing in the door, uh, had a glass thing on the door, he said, I could see them looking at me. And he said, and I was crying and screaming, but they wouldn't come and get me. And, and then there was other times where he told us they would send him. He was ADHD or whatever, uh, and he was always busy, 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 just like he is now. He, he never sits still. He comes to our house. He can't sit and watch television. He got to go out and play basketball, hit baseballs, run the neighborhood. He's got to do something. He's just full of energy. And they held that against him, and they would send him to this other orphanage that was all uh, older boys, like teenagers, and he's just a little bitty fella, four years old. And they would send him to that college or to that orphanage, and they would just beat the pudding out of him and just mistreat him and misuse him and everything. And that was supposed to teach him a lesson or teach him how to not, not be so energetic or not be so busy. And when he got up here that night and started talking about these things, this was what was coming out of him. He was being set free from, and it changed him. He's been changed since that night. We didn't understand it at the time, but there was a purpose to what he was doing. And this is why we got to get to the place where we, we know his voice, we could hear his voice, and we can feel when he's moving understand and discern when he's doing something, setting somebody free. Like if Shannon run around the church, somebody could get set free. That is not without purpose. If Miss Gracie dances in the pews, that is not without purpose. And a lot of churches would think that is erratic behavior, unnecessary behavior, 
even disrespectful. But we don't believe like that. You know, if, if it's, and I'm not saying everything is the Holy Ghost or every move is the Holy Ghost, but if it is the Holy Ghost, there's a purpose to it. And, and for you to hinder it, you could be stopping somebody from receiving their deliverance or receiving a healing or receiving whatever it is they need because people can get set free, set free through a run or through a dance. Amen? So anyway, Paul started out in, verse four, in chapter 14. He says, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts. So number one, the gifts have to be desired. If they're not moving in a church, it's because the people don't desire for them to move. Or if they desire them to move and they're not moving, it's because they're not following after love. That's the, the key ingredients. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts. And, you know, uh, a lot of churches don't teach that because of fear. They're in fear of losing people. They're in fear of offending somebody. They're in fear that it would embarrass somebody. And, you know, we can't allow that fear to govern our church services. It has to be the Holy Ghost that's orchestrating our services. And if he is, it will be without confusion, and it will be in love, and it will be because you desire for these things to happen. So it's not up to me and Pastor Ed. I'm going to close here in a second. It's not up to the leadership of the church. It's up to every one of us. And so if the Holy Ghost isn't moving like he should move or he doesn't feel free enough to move, it's not all my fault. It's all our faults. It's the whole body's fault. Because like I said, this is a body ministering to a body. And uh, the Holy Ghost has to be desired. He's not going to push himself on anybody. He has to be desired. And if you can't get that desire fulfilled here, you can have it fulfilled in your living room at home. He'll move in your house. He'll move at your house. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I don't mean it disrespectfully, but we've had more moves of the Holy Ghost in our house than we have in some church services. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. And, and, you know, it's not that we don't desire them here. It's that we do desire them here. Uh, there might be some hindrances that we don't have at home. Even our dog gets arrested when the Holy Ghost moves in our house. She just goes to sleep. She don't bark at nothing. and She's always barking at something. She just gets arrested and goes to sleep. And the Holy Ghost has his way. It could be that way here. It could be that way at your house. Amen? Anyway... Uh, I give my testimony Wednesday uh, about how I received the Holy Ghost and is a witness to that. You know, I, I was prayed over so many different times for six months to receive the Holy Ghost. And because it didn't happen like I thought it was going to happen, I never, well, I never acknowledged receiving it. But I learned later that I received the very first time I prayed for him and I received the Holy Ghost. But I never acknowledged him, never spoke in tongues. Till that one night we come back from Zion at little full gospel church and I got down on the floor in my bedroom in the dark, two or three in the morning, I don't know what it was, and began to cry and ask God what was wrong with me. And God told me, he says, there's nothing wrong with you. He said, you received the Holy Ghost the first time you prayed for it because uh, I, I said in my word, if you ask, he says, if, if you being 
a carnal know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will I give to you the Holy Ghost? And he said, if you ask me, will I give you a scorpion or an egg or a stone? No, I'll give you what you asked for. And that's when it dawned on me. I asked, he gave. And I began to speak in tongues. I've been speaking in tongues ever since. And so, you know, it's just a matter of personal desire and understanding. If you don't receive the Holy Ghost when you're prayed for or when you ask for him, it's, it's two things. It's either lack of faith or it's a lack of yielding. And it's the same way with speaking in tongues. You just either didn't have enough faith to speak in tongues or you didn't yield to the utterance. He didn't say that he gave them tongues. He said that he gave them an utterance, which means that uh, something in here was, bub was bubbling up, but they just didn't yield to it and speak it out with their vocal cords and their tongue. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. I'm going to close this. Pastor Ed, I couldn't stick with my notes today. I, have, I got five pages left. Now, I'm not saying that tongues aren't important. They are. They're especially important uh, to the believer, be, uh, to the spirit-filled believer, because you, you need to have a heavenly language because the Bible says when we pray in our heavenly language or we pray in tongues, we pray in the perfect will of God the Father. So even though we don't know what his will is at times, I mean, if it's in the word, we know what his will is. But there's things that aren't in the word that we need to know what his will is on it. Should I move here? Should I invest in this? Should I take this job? Should I go to this school? You're not going to find that in the word, but you're going to find that in praying in the spirit because you're praying the perfect will of the father and he will put that into you even though you don't know exactly what you're praying you're praying by faith in your heavenly language and god is hearing your heart because it's coming from your heart and that's where god will answer you is back in your heart or in your spirit and you may not get the answer today or the next day, but sooner or later, it will come up in your spirit. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to go to this school. I'm supposed to take this job. I'm supposed to stay with this job. And you'll just know in your heart because it's the spirit of God leading and guiding you with peace. He'll know if you have to, if you're supposed to buy a house. He'll know if you're supposed to uh, Get a new car and, and finance it. Because these are things that the mind doesn't tell us clearly. But he'll give you that unction. He'll give you that utterance in your heart. He'll tell you what you need to do. And it'll be right every time, 100% of the time. And then we need to pray in tongues to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Because uh, sometimes, I don't know about you, but my faith gets weak. And so the Bible has given us a weapon to build our faith back up. It's like charging our battery. That's praying in other tongues, praying in your heavenly language. But I noticed one thing in the Bible, you know, Paul says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And he said he was talking to the disciples at so-and-so or such-and-such. And so we know they were born again. We know they were believers and followers of Christ because he called them disciples. And, but he says, have you uh, been filled with the Holy Ghost? And they said, we don't even know anything about a Holy Ghost. And so they weren't filled because they didn't know. But my point is this. There is a, uh, 
I guess I don't want to call it an event. But anyway, there's a, uh, another experience that is uh, subsequent to being saved, and that is being baptized in the Holy Ghost. So it's two experiences. You get saved and you receive the Spirit by measure. He's the one who regenerates your spirit. But when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire, that's when you receive the Holy Ghost in its full measure, in its full measure. And that's when that power comes into you uh, to give you, help you walk in love uh, and get out of fear, walk in love, power in the sound mind. And this is what we all need. And so, again, I'm not saying that tongues isn't important, but I know people that are filled with the Holy Ghost never spoke or uttered a tongue in their life. Do you think Billy Graham had the ministry that he did without being filled with the Holy Ghost? I never heard him speak in tongues. But I guarantee you he was full of the Holy Ghost. Now, you should speak in tongues because it's another dimension. It takes you up a, a level higher. Can you imagine Billy, Billy Graham full of the Holy Ghost and speaking in another tongue? I mean, his ministry would have been even greater. As great as it was, it, it could have even been greater if he was uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues because the Bible also tells us that we uh, pray mysteries. When we're praying in tongues by faith, we're praying mysteries that we don't even know about. And so some of the decisions he made could have been made quicker, could have been made even better at times if he got the unction like he was uh, would if he was praying in other tongues and being filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and not to say, take anything away from Billy Graham. He had an amazing, fantastic ministry. But I don't want us to be without this power. I don't want us to be without power, love, and a sound mind, a sound, sober mind. Amen? So let's just go ahead and pray. Lift your hands up. If you desire, I know most of us are filled. I, I don't know for sure if every one of us is filled. If uh, I had to judge by your fruits, I'd have some doubts. <laughs> so, you know, and, and you could be filled and that ember is just laying there, hasn't been fanned, hasn't burst into flame in a long time. It's like that fire that was shut up in Jeremiah's bones. And, and so sometimes we just have to stir the gift up that's inside of us. And so uh, let's do that this morning. Let's just stir that gift up. Father, we thank you and praise you. We know there's more to this uh, teaching than just the Father and the Son. We know that there is a mighty Holy Ghost that's full of power and glory. And God, we ask that he would come into us right now, fill us to overflowing. And God, in the areas where we're falling short, let him fan the flames. Let that flame be that ember be fanned till it bursts back into flame and we're back on fire for you and we're doing the things that you have directed us to do and we're walking in the power and the love of a sound mind and we're accomplishing things in the kingdom of heaven and we are getting things done. Our witness is as powerful as, as it ever was and it's getting more and more powerful because that power is indwelling us. The greater one is living on the inside of us and we just ask you to fill us again to overflowing. 
We're not asking for the baptism. We've been baptized in the Holy Ghost, but you said in the Word there are many fillings. So we're looking for one of those fillings, Lord, one of those refreshing times where we're filled to overflowing, even to the point where we start splashing over and spilling over on other people, our family members, our friends, our loved ones. We even spill it over in the grocery store, Lord. But let us see the evidence of a spirit-filled life and get us to the place where we begin to overcome the things that have held us in bondage because this type of power will break every chain, every fetter. This anointing that will be upon us will set not only us free, but it will set people free around us. So we want that type of life, Lord. We want that type of power operating in our lives, and we want it to be evident in our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord. Lord.